Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. And Saint-Étienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tovac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome along to another special edition of Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. We're taking advantage of this prolonged break by delving into the magic of the French League. So, after our Paris Saint-Germain show, it's time to bring you a focus on France's most successful, most decorated and arguably France's biggest football club, Olympique de Marseille. Now, don't turn off Paris Saint-Germain supporters. There'll be a very you know, objective chat about the Southern Giants. We're going to be hearing from two former players, Boudouvin Zenden, who played for Marseille between 2007 and 2009, and Tony Cascarino, the Irish international who played for Marseille in the, in the 1990s. Now, also joining me to discuss the uh, je ne sais quoi that makes Marseille one of Europe's most fascinating entities. Welcome along, Armel Tangi, who I think is in the South at the moment, in the South of France, especially for this edition, Armel? Morning, everyone. Morning, Matt. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No other reason to go down here. It's got nothing to do with the nice weather, and it's the only part of France which is looking nice this next week. It was purely to make this authentic. Well, it's good to get Armel away from the beach for, for, for an hour or so. Another Ligue 1 commentator, David Cross, and it is also on board. How are you, Dave? Still in Paris, I assume? Yeah, good. Yeah, no, I'm not in Marseille. I'm quite jealous of Armel. I'm in Paris. It's grey. It's a bit grey this morning, isn't it? And we welcome uh, a special guest who is down in Marseille, Murad Ertz, who is uh, a Marseille-based journalist, a specialist of OM, and the author of an excellent book about Marseille and Marcelo Bielsa, a study of a passionate relationship between El Loco and France's maddest club, Marseille. How are you doing, Murad? How is life down in Marseille? Good morning, everybody. Well, it's, it's all right, but I should say that the weather was really bad till uh, till today so i hope the summer finally come in so many so many ways because you know we all have been through this weird uh, confinement i mean lockdown uh, thing so we hope now summer is is here for is here to stay we're going to go to the beach we're gonna enjoy and we're going to enjoy everything that made marseille marseille yeah we're not going to stand for any uh, any complaints about the weather down in marseille <laughs> i'm sure you guys are, are, are absolutely fine let's let's start by talking a bit about our, our first memories, our, our strongest first memories of Marseille. Now, we are of different ages. We know that Marseille had uh, an incredible period in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Perhaps for, for the likes of Dave, myself, uh, and Armel, who moved to France a little bit later, there'll be later memories. Let's, let's start with, with you, Dave. First memories of, of OM. Yeah, my memories are of the time when they made the European Cup final in 1991. It was a time when the English clubs were banned from Europe. So as someone growing up in England, you needed to find a different team to follow. And because Chris Waddle was at Marseille and because they played exciting football, it had to be Marseille. So I, I always really looked forward to seeing the highlights of Marseille's games because it was, it was thrilling to watch. And you sense the excitement from the velodrome you, you saw how good they were in some of the big away games. And it was just really disappointing. I remember when they managed to lose to Red Star Belgrade on penalties in one of the worst finals I've ever seen. That was an incredible, an incredible time. I, I just don't have that many, that many memories. I think I was so focused, like in terms of that period, I was so focused on what was happening in England. And until we got the Italian football, I, I really started you know, showing an interest in, 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 in the Italian football. But I'm going to be totally honest and say, I don't, you know, I would love to have watched that, that Marseille team with Waddle and Papa and more. Armel, you're, you're, you're too young to, to, to remember that team, aren't you? I am, yeah. I think my sort of first, first real Marseille memories would have been um, their run to the UEFA Cup final in 2004. I mean, granted, I was, I was old enough to remember quite a few things by then, but... Um, that team, that team was quite something, and I remember that was before the Benadrome was renovated. And specifically, I think Dave will join me on this. That semi-final against Newcastle at the Velodrome, that was just an incredible atmosphere, and I will always remember seeing that game. I had a penchant for Marseille anyway via a good friend of mine who's from there and supported them. But that game really showed me that this club was something special. Yeah, that was that, that was unbelievable. I had the pleasure of covering Marseille that season. 
when they knocked out Inter, Liverpool, then Newcastle in the semi-final. Drogba was incredible. And just experiencing the atmosphere on those European nights of the Velodrome was, was unbelievable. Murad Ertz, can we have your first memories of, of OM? Yeah, so I, I should confess that I, I was a bit young when it was the, the glory days of Marseille. And I would like to say that I was a big fan of Papa and Wada and all of that. But at the time, I was more interested by Bruce Wayne and Sangoku and that type of thing. So my real story with OM started in my teenagehood. And it was more like I have a really vivid memory of the season of 98-99 when OM went to the final of uh, what was still a UEFA Cup at the time against Parma and uh, lost the title in the last day of the championship with controversial goal in, in Paris and stuff like that. So I should really say, say one big memory that started my passion for, for him. I mean, it was natural, but the things like the, the cornerstone of my passion for him, I would say, is this uh, season of 98-99 that was uh, devastating at the end, but well, what we have. Uh, but Murad, a question for you, because I've been watching on, on French television recently, they've been showing a lot of classic matches and one of the, you know, the all-time great Liga matches was at the Velodrome when Montpellier um, went 4-0 up at half-time against Marseille. And Marseille came back to win 5-4. It was actually just, a, you know, an unbelievable night, obviously. But a lot of Marseille fans, I think, left the Velodrome at, at half-time. And then when they heard, oh, hang on, it's 4-2, they came back in. And, you know, again, the atmosphere was amazing. We had Pires and Laurent Blanc and Dugarry all. All, all contributing. Do you remember that game? Were you there? Or yeah, yeah. Of course, I was not in the stadium, but of course, I remember that game. I was not led to the stadium, and I was listening the game by the radio. And at halftime, I was really like destroying everything in my room. I was. It was the end of the world, and little by little, we came back and won. At I think um, Laurent Blanc scored the, the winning penalty in the last ten minutes, something like that. That was. That was the type of things that tells you like, okay, you're going to be champion this year. It cannot be other way. And it was because we lost big game as well, because obviously we lost the title in the last day. Bordeaux, that was our opponent, was uh, playing in Paris and we had to, to win at Nantes. And we won at Nantes and the uh, Paris fans that had nothing to, to win at, at this very moment, they decided, they kind of, they cheer for, for Bordeaux because they wanted Bordeaux to be champions over OM. And uh, Bordeaux scored the final goal in the last minutes of the game, and everybody kind of still cheated in Marseille because really we felt we deserved this 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 championship title. Though to be completely fair, we should say that you know we lost at Bordeaux four one, we lost we lost at Paris, so we lost big game as well previously. So uh, anyway, that was a hard season, and that's really what what was um, what was to come for OM fan in the in. In the, in the year to come after that. I find it really interesting, Murad, that you can't bring yourself to say Pascal Fayenduno's name. Do you want me to say it for you? <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, Dave, that is definitely one of the events that has, you know, marked the rivalry between PSG and, uh, and OM. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But the defending, the PSG defending at the end as Pascal Fayenduno went through and scored was it was pretty questionable as, as PSG effectively won the title for Bordeaux and... Uh, uh, and denied uh, denied Marseille. Um, you're listening, by the way, to Le Beaujeu, the official League One podcast. We welcome all of your feedback on our email, League One Podcast at gmail.com, or using the hashtag Le Beaujeu via our Twitter handle at League underscore ENG. If you've got any questions about what's going on or what's not going on in France at the moment, about the transfer window, do let us know. Now, Marseille, we know have had some incredible footballers through the years. They've also had some legendary coaches from Didier Deschamps to Franz Beckenbauer, Eric Gerrits, and Champions League winner Raymond Gertels. But I think it's fair to say that one coach has captured the, captured the fervour of OM more than any other in recent times, and that is Marcelo Bielsa. He was only at the Velodrome for one full season in 2014-15. Marseille was scintillating in the first half of the campaign. They were top of the league. They were competing for the title, but they faded quite badly in the second half of the season. Despite only staying for a very short time, Bielsa really did leave a massive imprint on, uh, on Marseille, so much so that our guest Murad Ertz has, has written a book about that season. Murad, can you, can you tell us a little bit about why 
you think Bielsa had had such a big impact on this football club? Well, I, I would say that more than a big impact, he had a special impact. If Bielsa is bringing something special to the football club when he's coaching it. It's um, Obviously, we all know that OM has this incredible crowd, incredible fans that are really passionate. And uh, Bielsa, food, the, the, the football that Bielsa is bringing, it's all about passion. And it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like bringing... He's a fire starter. That's what it is. And it was, and the velodrome was on fire all season. You were going to the stadium excited like you were never before a football game. And it was a football game against Caen or Gangan or whatever. It was not something exciting. Though you were excited and you, you were leaving your passion for football at, at the fullest. You couldn't, you cannot leave your passion more fully than with Bielsa. That's not possible. That's why I think he's, he, He's doing so great in Leeds because I've been there and I saw that their fans are really passionate as well and OM fans are as well. So that's it's a special impact that he brought more than a big impact because obviously there is um, coach and managers that made better than him and that will stay in the history in, in OM with a more with a bigger footprint. But uh, anyway, that's really something special. Bielsa is special, OM is special and he needs I think Bielsa needs to go in special club, and the, the, the meeting between the this, those two entities were wow. It was great to leave. It was really something to leave, and I think that it stayed in the memories of people. And there is a lot of people I think that cannot completely understand, but why why did why it was special? Actually, it was nothing special, and there is still there is still so many discussion around Marseille. Like, mm. is he a crook, or was it so special? Did I miss it? Did it? It's it's something incredible. So that's what you need for writing a book. You need a special story. I, at least that's my opinion. Yeah, I think outside of Marseille, people in France, they, they do question Bielsa. They say, you know, is he a fraud? Because so often, you know, his teams do well, but only for a short period and, and they fade away. But I mean, the, the title of your book, Murad, it talks about a, a passionate relationship. Is, 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 is passion the all-important word here in terms of it being a common theme between Marseille's fans and what Marcelo Bielsa represents. Exactly. That's. I think passion is something that is missing in uh, nowadays football because you you have the Champions League. Okay, it's it's exciting. Sometimes the level of of the playing that we see that we see it's exciting and it's really great. But you know, it's like passion, and that's the thing. It's something you cannot invent. You cannot. It's, it's just you have it or you don't have it. And um, in my book, for example, there is the leader of one group of the fans that say in 2011, we were playing the title with Didier Deschamps, but the crowd was a bit bored and something, and we had to rally people to come to the Velodrome to say, come on, it's important. It's an important game. We are playing the title. We need to win this one. And um, two, three years later, Bielsa is here. It's a game against Toulouse. Nobody cares. And the stadium is full. You cannot find the ticket anywhere. And people want to see that. That's what football is. And obviously, Bielsa has um, an enormous amount of flaws, among which is the thing that his football is uh, with no compromise. He has he never compromised. So sometimes he's losing game because he should compromise and he should think, OK, I should defend more, I should do something like that. But on the other hand, you're so excited because you know that the guy will not compromise, that he faced uh, Toulouse or Paris Saint-Germain. He will not compromise and you will go there and try to win. And um, but then at the end, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something special to live. And I'm sure that Leeds fans will agree with me. The fans would have been delighted to turn up to that uh, Toulouse game you mentioned as well, Murad, because that was the game that Bielsa sat on his coffee. And those are the sort of moments that live on in the memory. Yeah, Murad called uh, Marcelo Bielsa the fire starter, but I thought he was all about the ice bucket. I, I do have to say those first few months in all the time that I've been working on French football, that it was so innovative and there was so much energy in the way that Marseille played for those months that you couldn't help but want them to do well because it was something that wasn't being offered by any of the other teams in Ligue 1. And uh, you do wonder, and I think it's one of the things that makes Marseille so fascinating, is that the crowd is excessive in one way or the other. Everything around it is either brilliant or it's the worst thing ever. It makes it romantic. There are so many flaws there. And you do wonder what would have happened in Marseille's recent history, had they been able to see that through under Bielsa, even just to qualify for the Champions League, rather than fading so badly. And then again, in 2018, after Frank McCourt came in and bought the club, if they managed to get Champions League qualification as well as making the Europa League final, then Marseille might not have had 
the same financial constraints that they have now, which are going to hamper Andre Villas-Boas next year when Marseille are back in the Champions League. Yeah, well, we will talk about Andre Villas-Boas, but there, there does always seem to be this sort of circus going on behind the scenes. We're going to hear from Bolo Zenden now, who will give us a bit of insight into, into the world of, um, of, of coaching at Marseille. The Dutchman joined OM from Liverpool in 2007, and it was another period of instability with the coach at the time, Albert Amor, really struggling to get a dressing room that included strong personalities like Sami Nasri, Lorik Sana, Gibral Sisi, and Mathieu Valbuena to pull in the same direction. So here's uh, Zenden giving us uh, his account of what it was like when he joined. With all due respect to Albert Aymon, because I really liked him. He was a, a father figure for the players. Uh, the players really wanted to do something extra for him. Uh, also because the, the, the season before I arrived, they did, they did something uh, uh, special with him. You know, that, that, that's how we got to stay there. Um, but I felt maybe the magic was a little bit gone because the players took over. They just did whatever they wanted. Um, um, uh, Albert Aymon was a type of manager who would say, attackers defending. No, 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 no. They should stay up front and make sure that they make a difference. I'm thinking, okay, if you tell a striker that he doesn't need to defend, <laughs> he's never going to defend, you know? Um, and then Eric Gerricks came in and, and, and I had uh, a certain relationship with him, not because I knew him from before, but he's a Belgium guy. He lives just across the border here. Uh, he was at PSV before, not with me, but and I, you know each other. Uh, and we had a very good chat when he came in and said, listen, um, Bolo, Baudouin, um, what's going on here? I mean, what, what is it we have to do? What, what, what do we have to change? Because um, after maybe 10 games, we were still second from bottom or something. Yes. Yeah, That's what I mean. You, you don't want to be in Marseille when you're second from bottom. Um, and um, uh, I said, listen, it's rather simple. We need order. Uh, we need a game plan. And we need to do it together because we're not going to do it on our own. And um, uh, Gerrits came in and uh, he set down a little bit of a, not 100%, not black and white military regime where he said, this is what we're going to do. And if you're not, obviously you're out, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we trained hard. We trained properly. We had an idea. We fronted the games. And we managed to finish third in the league from being second from bottom. Now, of course, if you would have been like this from the start, uh, who knows where we would have ended. Well, some fascinating insight there from, uh, from Bolo Zenden. And it, it does feel like coaching Marseille is an especially difficult task. You have the huge pressure being applied by the fans. We've seen a lot of examples of, of player power. Uh, accounting for a coach at Marseille. And actually, what, what's happening at the moment is absolutely fascinating. Andre Villas-Boas, um, who's had a brilliant first season at Marseille, he's taken them to second place and, and the Champions League. He was expected to quit this summer after his close ally, the sporting director, and Andoni Zubizarreta, um, was pushed out of the club. And it was, like I say, assumed AVB would go. But he's agreed to stay, at least for the final year of his contract, after reportedly being convinced by the players um, to, to, to stay on. And, you know, Armel, that's something we've seen this, this season, isn't it, at Marseille? There, there is clearly a bond that AVB has created with, with his players. Absolutely. It's a rare situation in my memory of Marseille anyway, that someone should be so unanimous in the coaching position in terms of winning over the fans, getting the results on the pitch, and also having it seems, all his players in his pocket. Um, I was reading up that they're going for an eight-week eight training uh, camp between Portugal and Germany over the next few weeks between now and the start of the season. Eight weeks, you think spending eight weeks with someone that you don't like much is quite something, but apparently everyone's quite happy going into that and there's, there's no real tension about it because everyone likes working with AVB and it really, really would have gone back to the sort of circus days of Marseille had he walked out this summer because of Zubisaretta's departure and I think Marseille as an institution can thank its lucky stars that he has decided to stay on for another another year and isn't it incredible again that 
players are the ones who have made that happen. When, when have we seen that before? Players are usually the ones kicking out coaches. Have we ever seen a situation like that before at Marseille? Uh, Murad, you, you managed to get Andre Villas-Boas to write the forward to your, to your book. What's it been like working with uh, Villas-Boas this season? And, uh, you know, is, 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 is this true? You know, we're, we're reading the reports that the players convinced him to stay. Is it true? And how, how big is it for Marseille to, to have him stay on? It's essential. I think if, if Villas-Boas had, had left the club this summer... We would be in uh, we would be in a major crisis because fans would be really really angry. And the fact is that Antonio Zubizarreta was not so loved in Marseille. His work was under scrutiny. We thought that he couldn't sell anybody. That he was uh, buying not the right player, and so on and so on. Uh, it's arguable because uh, Rudy Garcia made most of the decision for 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 our transfer, our transfer. But um, yeah, I think without Villas Boas, like. The club would be really, I mean, we would have no direction sport-wise, and that was that. That's, I mean, now all the sports, all the sports section of OM is on Rafael as well as basically everything rely on him. So if he had left, everything would have just uh, just vanished, and we would be like restarting from a blank page, and we didn't want that. So it's it's really really important, and I think um, Jacques Henriero, the chairman, should be really happy that uh, Villas Boas took this decision, though. There is something that sometimes makes me think, okay, I hope they will not sell um, some some player that might decide uh, Villas Boas otherwise and to finally leave the club. I really hope that he stays for this season because without him, who knows who, who we're going to pick after that and something. And there is still, for me, there is still a small chance that he is leaving the club. So let's hope he's going through with, with, with his words and uh, that the chairman go, goes through with his word and that we can live a normal season if something like that is uh, possible in, in OM. Oh dear. So Murad, you think there could even be a dramatic twist between now and the start of the season? Dave, um, Villas-Boas, he's got a big job ahead of him. I mean, he's done, he's done miracles in this first season. There's, again, the reports say he needs to sell or Marseille needs to sell 60 million euros worth of talent because of the debts that they have. They have to prepare for a Champions League campaign. He's got it all to do, hasn't he? It's an incredibly difficult situation and particularly the way that Marseille spent their money after Frank McCourt came in. That um, They called it the Champions Project, which was much derided around France because it took ages for Marseille to start competing for the title or even just to get back into the Champions League. And initially, they spent the money on high wages for very old players. And while Dimitri Payet has been outstanding since returning to Marseille, it cost a, a stupid amount of money for a player of his age, and there's no resale value. And Marseille, even then, when it seemed like there'd be a lot of money coming on tap, didn't have the financial wriggle room that you have at Paris Saint-Germain, where you can sign someone like Julian Draxler for 40 million, and if he doesn't come off, then hey, it doesn't really matter too much. You might get some money back for him eventually. But any mistake that's made in the transfer market, and Marseille have actually recruited quite well over the last couple of years, but for every Kostas Mitroglu or um, Nemanja Radonjic, you think, oh no, there's 10, 15 million euros that's gone and there's nothing left to buy someone new. So for every Rongier and Benedetto or Sanson where they've managed to recruit cheaply and well, they have had a, a few mistakes that become more highlighted, I suppose. But um, Villas Boas, again, like he did in the season that's just finished, is going to have to work miracles with a very thin squad. Yeah, Armel, at, at the moment, there's talk in the press about M. Bagnong, who has said that he'd be very keen to leave Rennes to, to, to join Marseille. This week, we've had uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli, uh, a blast from Marseille's past, saying that he'd love to, to join Marseille as sporting director because they've got this, uh, this position to fill. There's been talk that Gonzalo Higuain could be following Ravanelli to the velodrome. We could be in fantasy world. Um, but uh, you know, how, how how do you see it, Armel? What should the what should the priorities be? I mean, Benedetto's done done pretty well in his first season as a as a Marseille striker. Well, I think if Higuain goes anywhere near the south south of France this summer, they'll be reaching for oxygen tanks around the velodrome because that seems highly highly unlikely. But if Revanelli does come and can put it off, then brilliant. But I think Marseille's aim this summer is definitely just to be realistic because there's that 60 million euro sum that, uh, that's been thrown about that they have to sell to, to, to get 60 million euros. And it's going to be a case of trying to, trying to bring in decent talent 
that you know the sort of likes of Mbappé Young that probably wouldn't light up the Champions League, that but that would be able to provide good centre forward play for them anyway. It's it's I, I get the feeling as someone with a as I say, a slight partial for Marseille. I get the feeling it's kind of damage limitation this summer ahead of what should be a really exciting season. But Murad, if they do have to recoup a lot of money, which you know it seems to be the case, which players are going to sell for for, for big money? Who can you see going? We've talked about Morgan Sanson for a long time having um, suitors in England. Bubakar Camera would get would fetch money. It'd be a great shame though, wouldn't it, to see Camera leave Marseille? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will add. Um... That is uh, our Croatian fullback. He's pretty, um, I mean, he's a decent defender, and I think he's tall. He's really having good feet for the for the Premier League, for example. You can imagine him there. And then, yeah, there is these three players: so Chaletatsar, Sanson, and uh, Bubakar Kamara. Otherwise, we, we are talking more and more about about uh, selling like. Um, like secondary player, like uh, Maxim Lopez, for example, that has only one uh, one year of contract left, and he will bring obviously less money, but uh, he will bring some, and he will not. It will not make so angry uh, Andre Villas-Boas because this will be uh, another um, another issue there because you cannot sell. Apparently, there is a deal between Villas-Boas and Frank Macour, the the owner of uh, of OM, that some player will not leave and that uh, Villas-Boas will still have. A uh, large part of, of of his group, of the group uh, of player with which with whom he bonded so much, so um, so so that that will be really a fascinating things to see because that's that's where my fear lies actually that we are selling um, I don't know Morgan Sanson or Bubakar Kamara and that was and that goes against the the promise that you might have done to 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 Andre Villas Boas that then decide to act on it. <laughs> will be something really special, and yeah, for the player, I'm not sure that you need to go for for, for player like Mbappé. I mean, he's a good he's a good player, and I think he could could do really well in Marseille. But you should more look like guys like Florian Thauvin, for example, that came in Marseille, um, really young age, even though if it was for a lot of money or Benjamin Mendy, that type of prospect, because you already have experience in the team, you have Steve Mandanda. You have Dimitri Payet, Dario Benedetto is pretty old, Dar- um, Alvaro that should stay as well. So you have experience already. You should try to to fit in the modern way, world of football because, like it had been said before, we decided first to to to, to really buy aged player with a high salary to to go straight back to Champions League, which didn't work, and it's not. I mean, it's not like fitting with uh, the modern world, of, uh, the modern world of football for a club with that type of finance. So I hope we will finally get in line with the type of finance that we have and the type of football and the type of player that should play in uh, in Liga. Murad mentioned someone who I think is going to be vital to Marseille's chances in the next season, and that's Florian Tovan after a year out injured. If he can get back to the form that saw him score. 15 plus goals where he was effectively playing like Iron Robin, cutting in from the right. Everyone knew what he was going to do, but sticking the ball in the back of the net, then that's going to help them have a good season. But um, I think what we're going to have to observe this year is Andre Villas Boas, despite everything that was said both publicly and in the press about the start of things behind the scenes not going so well in, in public and to the fans, he always came across very calm. He um, kept his cool, but we again, to go back to things happen quickly in Marseille. So when Didier Deschamps was appointed in 2009 to succeed Eric Heretz, I was convinced that Marseille would win the title. They did in 2010. But then two years later, Deschamps was a broken man. And this is a Marseille legend. And he was about 20 kilos heavier. I might be doing him a disservice here. But by the end of that 2012 season, he just wasn't a, a happy man at all. And he really needs to leave for his own well-being as much for the club's well-being. So what will happen to Vilas Boas? Will he start feeling the stress? Possibly. Will, will he do a Bielsa? As Murad said, Bielsa did one game against Caen at the start of the second season. Andy Delors scored the winner and he left. He resigned. Well, this summer is going to be tricky for Marseille in, in, in the transfer market. And, you know, recent years have been difficult for OM fans living in the, in the shadow, if you like, of PSG uh, and, and their success. So we're going to wind the clock back and just have a nice moment, a nice little moment for Marseille fans, um, going back to the glory years. OM, they've always prided themselves in attacking football. The club's slogan is droit au but, straight to the goal. Um, 
but never more so than in that period, the late 80s, early 90s, when they had Francescoli, Waddle, Boxic, Voller, Abide Pele, Jean-Pierre Papin, just an incredible array of attacking talent. They won four league titles in a row. They frightened uh, their opposition. We're going to hear just uh, quickly now from somebody who played against them, an Australian international, Frank Farina, who went on to, to coach the Socceroos. He played for Strasbourg between 92 and 94, and he remembers taking on that OM team. You know, as a striker, um, coming up against Marseille at that time, when you had, I think, Boli and Desai, who were mm. centre-backs, you know, both great <laughs> athletes, you know, they were quick. You know, one of my strengths was I was fast, but you're coming up against two guys who are just as fast as you. So, you know, and they were... <laughs> and twice as know, big. Physi- <laughs> and, and twice as big, you know, physically monsters and... You know that they had a very, very good side, and I, you know, I think that Rudy Foller was playing for them then, and mm, yeah. um, I think a, a Croatian or the Serbian, Boxic, uh, the, Boxic, Alan Boxic, yeah. yeah. So you know, and Didier Deschamps was also, I think, in, in that um, in that time. But so they, they had a great side. Who was your your meanest opponent? That you and you mentioned a couple in that that great Marseille side. But who was who was Ooh. someone a bit like Stephen Keshi in training that you? That you played against, and you knew that you were going to be in for a tough afternoon. Well, I'd say in Bali for sure. That's yeah. uh, without doubt. You know, they were they were. Um, as I said, they were they were. You know, particularly Desai was a great player, but he was a beast. You know, he was yeah. a mountain, and um, and you know. He could be nasty. You know, Bolly could be very nasty, but uh, <laughs> they were two that you, you knew you were, you were up for a game when you, you went on the field with them. Yeah, it must have been it must have been frightening to play against against that Marseille side. Of course, the um, the summit for OM was uh, Munich, nineteen ninety three, when Basil Bolly won them the uh, the European Cup against AC Milan. But there's always, even in the recent years, been this special relationship between OM and and the European Cup, and I, I think. French fans, obviously OM fans, but neutrals as well, are delighted to see Marseille back in the Champions League. When we talked about our best memories, um, Armel talked about the 2004 run to the uh, uh, UEFA Cup final. Uh, Murad, you were talking about 1999. And even in 2018, when they, they reached the Europa League final, the atmosphere in the town was just unbelievable during that run. But Murad, for somebody who's based in Marseille and, and follows the club, can you just tell us a bit, about what it's like when, when Marseille are going on one of these European runs and uh, just what it means uh, for the people of Marseille. Uh, it's, it's incredible, really, because um, 2018 memories are pretty fresh in my mind. And I, I, I remember really vividly the, the quarterfinal against Leipzig. It was crazy. I saw journalists jumping over fences and, and jumping over <laughs> going to, 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 to celebrate with fans and things. And it's like, you you feel like an energy that is like that's not controllable. That you shouldn't even try. It's not controllable. It's for the for the best, for the worst. But you have this energy that was wonderful in all the city. Uh, the qualification for the final because I was covering uh, I was covering those games, but from home um, for Football Club de Marseille. And I went out after the semi final against Salzburg. We qualified in extra time with a goal of uh, Rolando. That is a uh, Forever in our heart, and um, and I went out in the city, and everywhere people like making making noise with their car, with their mouth, with whatever they have, jumping everywhere. And uh, I, I mean, the whole city was taken by, uh, by by this. And we are talking about the second largest city in France. We are not talking about a small city or something. And it's a it's not something to live. It's like an incredible energy that you cannot cannot control it's it's great it's really great no you do have to sort of see it to believe it and and live it to believe it just in that 2018 semi-final you you were talking about that Rolando goal and and the scenes in Marseille I was I was watching Arsenal against Atletico in the in the other semi-final and I can tell you at the Emirates it was it wasn't quite the same and um you know that's partly because Arsenal have been maybe more accustomed to the Champions League in, in, in recent years. But the passion in Marseille is just extraordinary. Uh, I want to ask Armel, because the Champions League is coming back to, to the Mediterranean coast. You know, if they can get some results, if they can get a bit of momentum, and if the town can catch, you know, European fever again, am I, am I, am I just fantasizing here? Or, you know, is, is Marseille too limited at the moment to do anything in the Champions League? 
I mean, we all mention all these uh, European runs and the fact of the matter is um, they haven't won anything in, in Europe since, since that famous night in 93. So it is, it is a, a little bit complicated. Like, uh, with all the, the money that's surrounding European football at the moment and the uh, power that clubs have to sign people, Marseille come in there. It's a team who last time they were in the Champions League famously finished with zero points at the bottom of their group, something that Paris Saint-Germain supporters will never let them forget. But um, it doesn't seem like an easy task for them right now to, to, to go into the Champions League. Um, the players that we've mentioned in the last few minutes that are you know, at risk of being sold are hugely important players to the way Marseille play. Um, I guess it's just quite good they do have a, a coach with a Champions League experience. And uh, we didn't mention earlier also, but the Ricardo Carvalho alongside him is someone who's on the Champions League. So they do have a bit of nous in the in the setup now, and uh, hopefully that will guide them to getting at least one point this season. Dave, <laughs> oh, well, for goodness sake, Dave, you're a, you're, you're a realist. You'll probably agree with. With, with, with Armel on this? Uh, that was the 2013-2014 season when they finished bottom of their group with zero points. But even that um, glorious from Marseille fans, less so from my perspective, victory against Newcastle in the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup in 2004, that came off the back of a, a Champions League campaign. They dropped into the UEFA Cup. Um, Matt and myself were at all of the, the Champions League games earlier in the season against the likes of Real Madrid and Porto. Um, yeah, I, I love a Velodrome European night. I was at the Salzburg home leg and that rather rude song that Marseille fans were singing about Jean-Michel Olas and going to Lyon and winning the, the thing, winning the competition was in my head all the way through to my journey back to Paris on the train the next morning. It was infectious, whether you're, you're for that or against that sort of thing. But I, I just love it. They're everyone, you, you get down to the Plage de Prado, people are out having their pre-match drink. Everyone wants to talk football. Um, as soon as I sat down to have a coffee, uh, I saw someone wearing a 2004 Didier Drogba shirt. And when he found out I was a Newcastle supporter, he, he thought it was great that I knew so much about Marseille from that era and the Waddle era. And you, you just get on with people. You can make links straight away by talking football. And it's, it's, it's something you don't find to that extent anywhere else in France. Let's, uh, let's bring in some people who have been at the heart of it all. Um, Budovan Zenden has, has played for some pretty big football clubs, uh, Barcelona, Liverpool, Chelsea. Um, but he talked to our producer, Ian Holyman, about Marseille, about the atmosphere in and around the, uh, the velodrome. And um, yeah, as he explains, he found it pretty special indeed. I mean, Marseille is crazy. The fans are full on. Um, after a few weeks, I, I really had the feeling that... Um, um, I always compared it a bit where I said Marseille is the French Naples. You know, when you see these images of uh, Diego Maradona in Naples, where, I mean, Marseille is Naples, Naples is Marseille in a way. Uh, it's also um, um, a city close uh, to the sea with a harbor and it's, um, it's special. Now, if things go right, that's the best place to be. If things go wrong, you, you better be somewhere else. Also, what struck me is that when we played away from home, it was still like playing at home. I mean, I remember a game playing away at Mets and we entered the pitch and we were cheered on and then the home team came on and they were booed off. I'm thinking, wait a second, we're playing away, aren't we? Uh, uh, when we arrived in Bordeaux at the airport or wherever it was, there were 200, 300 fans there to receive us. I think. Um, Never in a million times I would have thought that would be the case. Uh, of course, I've, I've experienced this with um, Barcelona, mm. but I wouldn't expect it with Marseille. But everywhere we went, everywhere um, uh, there was French speaking. For example, we played a game in Zurich or in Geneva. Uh, the, the, the people would go crazy. Uh, so I really noticed that if you speak French or if you have any kind of relationship to France, nine, well, maybe today it's slightly different, but back then, definitely nine out of 10, they were from Marseille. When I played in Marseille, I, I lived in Aix-en-Provence, which was uh, 50 kilometers north. If I went to Marseille to the city, um, I guess in four hours time, I got much more 
spoken to, shouted at, um, uh, picture taken, uh, signing autographs and whatever more, then in two weeks in Aix-en-Provence. Uh, uh, that was a difference. Uh, if, if you literally live in Marseille itself, you would never be able to escape the madness. Now, scoring in Marseille uh, with, the, with, with, the, um, with the fans behind it, it's, it's, of course, it's like an explosion of excitement and, and togetherness with the fans. It's, um, it's, it's crazy. And, and I haven't been back yet, but I still would love to go back and bring my boys. Um, I did have the invitations on a few occasions, but because I'm still in football, Whenever I get the invitation, I'm, 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 I'm involved myself. Now they've obviously closed the stadium. So I can't really wait to hear what the noise is like now because I knew what it was back then. It was already very noisy. We uh, had these, uh, these speaker microphones uh, where they cheer. Or it can either go two ways, mouille le maillot ou cassez-toi. Or if they say, allez les chèvres, you know, when it's not going right. <laughs> And um, you always know when they turn the speakers towards the, fa the towards the fans, you know it's okay. If they turn the speakers towards the the field, you know it's not good. Yeah, Zenden giving us a, an idea of just what it's like to play for Marseille. The the pressure that you're under. Some players sort of thrive under that pressure. Some players just don't manage to cope. Um, Tony Cascarino is um, somebody I had the pleasure of talking to recently, and he absolutely loved the uh, the intensity of playing for Marseille. He played for them initially in the second division because OM had just been relegated following the match-fixing scandal. He scored a lot of goals. But even in the second division, they actually played in the, uh, in the UEFA Cup that year as well. But even in the second division, the, uh, the atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal. So let's hear from Tony Cascarino about his time at OM. I mean, I always get people compare co comparisons of other stadiums and derbies and blah, blah, blah. I could say on European night in Marseille, because we played the, the old UEFA Cup, was extraordinary. You know, the fireworks going off, just the atmosphere with all the winners, the Yankees, the Ultras, and all these different groups that followed Marseille religiously. It was extraordinary, and it, it, it excited me. I just, even you talking to me now, Matt, makes me feel strange, makes me feel proud. Um, but you're right, Marseille is a club, and I've said this many a time, Matt, that only should play one way. And it's with brave heart, everything that you associate with a, you know, don't play counter-attacking football. Don't play possession-based football. Marseille is about, if you go there, you're in a cauldron. You're going to face a team that's going to be coming at you from every angle. Just like I had to go to Manchester United and, and Liverpool's in years gone by. Marseille should never have a football style that isn't built on courage and bravery. And sometimes when I watch Marseille and I worked on French football in England for IGM and, and I've got to say, I watch Marseille and I'll be pulling my teeth out because I just don't recognise a counter-attacking style of Marseille at the Velodrome because the fans demand a team that goes for, like it says in their shirt, droit à bout. And when you look at that on their, you know, the mascot or you look at that badge that tells you everything about the style, that to me is Marseille. It's hardcore at Marseille. You know, Matt, you've been around it. Your wife's or your, your girlfriend's from Marseille and you know what it means to the town. The town is, you know, you go out in the town, you're treated like royalty, you know. I mean, that's the appeal of a Newcastle, isn't it? Or Liverpool, if you're a player and you go there and when you're in London and you're a big star, yeah, you can still be treated special. But Marseille, it's very regional France, isn't it? You know. Your papers are regional. They, you know, they have much more impact with the players they meet. So you have this bond. It's a real family affair with Marseille. And, um, of course, I, I really... It, it was a, a really like an, um, a sort of attachment to what happened with Ireland. We always felt we had that relationship with the Irish fans. Well, I had that and all the team did with Marseille. Well, that was Tony Cascarino talking to Le Bourgeois. You can hear um, the full Cascarino interview on our podcast page. Likewise, Ian Holyman's interview with Bolo Zenden is uh, available in its entirety. And I do recommend both of those interviews. Fascinating chat. Just to, to bring in our, our guest, uh, Murad Ertz, um, who is a Marseille-based journalist. Murad, you know, Cascarino says that sometimes he doesn't recognize Marseille when he watches them, when he watches OM these days. The OM he knew was, was brave. It was attacking. And he says Marseille should never be a counter-attacking defensive team. 
Is he right or do Marseille have to be pragmatic these days? I mean, I would like to say that he is right. But, you know, we live in a different football. Plus, he came, he came to OM when we were on the top of the Europe and then we went to second division. So if we were not attacking then, who knows? But as you mentioned it earlier as well, our mentor is droit au but, straight to the goal. So obviously we are... And when you have such a passionate crowd... You, you, you want to, to, to see attack, you want to see goals. And when I, why I, I wrote a book about Bielsa, it's because I, I, I saw just attack, I saw goals, I saw something like that. So I think it's really, it's really in the DNA of the club, at this, uh, this attacking style. Though through the, through the years, through the, the change that occurs in football, we, we learn to be more pragmatic. And there is a huge debate. I mean, to, I mean, because when he's talking about that, you know, in OM, now if you ask an OM fan, um, like a modern OM fan, there is a huge debate. Who is a better coach, Bielsa or Deschamps? Because Deschamps is really pragmatic. He might not uh, he might not play attack, but he will bring you a title at the end of the year. He will bring the player as well. He will not come if he doesn't have the money to buy a certain type of player. But whatever, he will bring you a title. It will not be beautiful, but at the end, it will be beautiful when you're going to win. When Bielsa, you know, is going to come, you... you He's not going to have the player he wants. It's going to be beautiful, but at the end, it might be a bit ugly. So there is a huge dilemma for all the OM fans, like what you should have. But I, I think that's really for such a passionate crowd, such a big club, you need to attack. And, uh, and that's something that even in the 70s, when uh, we had the Claudius team with uh, Scoblar and Magnussen and uh, Charlie Loubet, that type of player, OM won title uh, back, to back to back in 71 and 72. And at the time, we already heard some um, some critics some critics about the fact that the game was not offensive enough. And so, ultimately, yeah, I think Ascarino is right. And and what OM fans really want is to to, to see something stylish and attacking and uh, with emotion. And uh, attack is bringing emotion, not defense. For me, Murad, it ties into the velodrome is a, an intimidating place for opposition players but it can be intimidating for the Marseille players themselves and for their coaches and whether you're able to withstand that is the the true test of whether you're going to do good things for the club or not because much as the velodrome can be incredibly noisy and passionate and give you a huge advantage it can be deathly quiet at times as well or you know that any miscontrol the crowd are going to be on your back you're going to get whistled off at half time and your life's going to be very difficult and this is before we even start talking about all of the, the burglaries that happen during matches or anything that makes it a, a, a difficult place sometimes for, for Marseille players to be and for their families that you can't escape the goldfish bowl that is Marseille Football Club. That In Paris, you can get the Argentinian players, they can go to their favourite steak restaurants or off to the pizzeria with the Italian-speaking contingent and no one's going to bother them because even if they get recognised, they're just doing their thing. Whereas... I know in those interviews with Cascarino and Zenden, if you if those players go into the centre of Marseille, it's going to take them hours to get back out to their car and get back home again because everyone's going to want a piece of them. Armel, do you think the um, the role of the Marseille supporters? You know, we we talked about those European runs, and it's obviously when things are going well, it's hugely positive, but they have a big influence for people who don't, you know, follow that closely. What 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 happens in France? They uh, these clubs have very influential supporter groups. Marseille have the South winners, the Dodgers, Marseille tout puissant. Um, they're often having meetings even with the uh, sporting management of, of, of the football club. They, you know, they run the, uh, the ticket office, certainly, well, the ticket office in terms of sell, selling tickets behind the goals in, in, in their sections. Um, is, it, is, it, is it a positive thing? I mean, it's great, I think, that the fans, you know, have a voice in a football club. But do you think with Marseille, it, it, it goes a little bit too far? It's very difficult to know where you have to draw the line because obviously, as you, as you mentioned, those supporter groups are so positive. They do more than just for the football club, also for the people of Marseille, obviously, in terms of uh, activities and uh, integration for kids that necessarily don't grow up with with too much access to, uh, to, to things to keep them occupied. So those supporter clubs are essential to, to the running of the club and that is also what generates such passion for the for Olympique de Marseille itself is if you know if the if you're given a, a sort of something to focus on at, at a young age that's obviously going to 
take a lot of your focus for the rest of your life if you do fall in love with it and that, at which point when do you when do you say you're going too far i i i personally don't think fans can really go too far um as long as you've got a strong board of directors that make decisions then why why should fans be limited in in what they have to say you don't have to listen to them now it's interesting what you say Armel. i i had a day um, with the South winners preparing before one of their games, before they played Nice. I think it was during the Bielsa season, actually, and they were preparing their enormous Tifo. And uh, from the outside, you don't necessarily have, have a good image of these people. You think, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're causing trouble in the stadium or what have you. And the, the, the impression that I got was completely the opposite insofar as you talked about the role in, in the community they had in their, in their warehouse and in their headquarters where they have it's like a drop-in center, if you like. And there were so many young kids who were helping them, painting the TFL, getting everything ready, transporting it to the stadium. And I want to ask Murad, because Murad works um, for this excellent website, Football Club de Marseille, which is, which is dedicated to, uh, to Marseille supporters. Um, what, how, how do you see the role of the fans in Marseille? Um, and you know, how, how big a role do they play, not just in the football club, but in the community at Marseille? It's- Really important. Just a small uh, precision is that they no longer run the the sale of tickets in their section. It was taken away by uh, and by the last the, the last uh, chairman, but was kind of part of the um, how you could sell the club. So on the on another topic, I think they are really important. I mean, the, it, it had been a lot of of controversy because uh, when you give this uh, like when you put them in business by selling tickets, something like that. There is a lot of story happened with that, and uh, some that definitely were not in the favor of the group that are supposed to be here for the for the passion and everything. And sometimes it seems that they had a, a business approach to, to to certain things. But that type of um, of problem, unfortunately, happened to all the club that give the fans such responsibility with money. I mean, you can uh, hear a lot about uh, Boca Junior, for example, in Argentina. And, um, and I mean, there is a lot of business around Bombonera that are that are owned by the fan, and um, there is a lot of controversy there as well. But then, yeah, definitely they do a lot in the in Cartino, which are the, the poor neighborhood of Marseille. They are like South winners. That is like a group that not not like a, uh, everybody not liking this group. But in the, in La Belle de May, that is a really poor area. They are making a lot of stuff in. Um, in, in all of these places, so they, they have as well a social impact, and uh, as it's been said before as well, they help young people to to have something to carry uh, to. I mean, to, to get busy, and yeah, there is a there is not that much to get busy in those areas, unfortunately, and sometimes they have this type of political political role that is definitely positive. Yeah, well, some of the choreography produced at the Velodrome is absolutely stunning. Um, we hope that our PSG supporters have been uh, keeping tuned because we have the results of, uh, of our competitions from our, from our Kylian Mbappe podcast. And uh, we had a lot of prizes up for grabs. Um, we had three copies of my book, um, which is called Sacre Bleu, um, from Zidane to Mbappe, A Football Journey. And we also had a Kylian Mbappe signed shirt. So thank you for all of the listeners who got in touch um, Ian Holyman, the producer, has uh, had the draw. There was a big ceremony, I think, with his children pulling names out of uh, out of hats. It was all filmed, so I can tell you it, it you know it definitely happened. The shirt has been won. I can announce by Nitun Kanani. Congratulations, Nitun. We will be getting your details and sending you Kylian Mbappe's shirt. We have three book winners: Michelle Love. Congratulations, you've got a, a copy of my book. Uh, James Wascombe and Etienne Fermi. So congratulations to you guys. We'll be getting your details and sending the, uh, the book Sacre Bleu um, to you ASAP. I'll give you the result as well of our Deja Who from last time out. The clue was uh, my career in France started at Cannes. I played with Fabien Barthez, Zinedine Zidane and Didier Deschamps during my career in England, France and in Italy. I quite literally had a checkered international career of course murad has uh, has guessed it already um the answer is alan boxich we had several right answers but uh, the man who has uh, again um got the nod is james wascombe so 
So congratulations. Big week for James, who's won a book. And he's also got the prestige of winning, of winning the, uh, the Deja Who competition. Back to Marseille now. We know that Paris Saint-Germain have pulled level with OM with nine league titles now. There will be an asterisk against this, uh, this ninth title with the season not being completed. But OM still have that European Cup win and um, they feel they're ahead of PSG. But of course, PSG are beating Marseille on a regular basis uh, these days. Uh, Le Classique, over the last 20 or 30 years, has become one of the biggest fixtures in Europe. Budovinzenden scored in a classic. It was a big win for OM at the Parc des Princes. Um, it became very famous, that goal, actually, because he scored and then he ran away to the corner where there was um, the orange, the telephone company had a sort of uh, a box that was erected a- a- as an advertisement and Bolo Zenden jumped onto the box and um, it didn't go very well for him. He actually fell into the box. He talks about that, that rather embarrassing uh, moment during his interview with, uh, with Ian Holyman. And um, he also talks in more general terms about what it was like to play in, in Le Classic. Zenden, who's played for Barcelona against Real Madrid. But uh, he says the uh, OM, the OM uh, PSG fixture even compares favourably to El Clasico. It comes a bit close if you look at uh, Marseille-Paris uh, and Barcelona-Madrid because it's, it's the capital against... Uh, non-capital, it's, it's, if you want to call it sometimes, the big money against the smaller money. It's the elite against the, you know, the, the, the normal people or whatever you want to call it. They're always looking for the two um, differences between the two clubs and the way they're set up. Um, but as, as soon as the game comes up, it's not like two days before the game people start talking about it. It's the same with El Clasico, with Madrid and Barca. A month before the game, there's already a build-up in the papers. The same as Marseille against Paris Saint-Germain. There's already a build-up. And you know you have to do your, your, your home fans proud and um, you have to make sure you get a result. And if you don't get the result, you have to make sure that you've done everything possible to get a result. And then if, if you, in the end you don't get the result, then... Sometimes I can still live with it, but if you get slaughtered and you lose three, four nil, it's no, no. I don't want to think about that. Well, very interesting stuff from Buda van Zenden, who's played in so many of the biggest fixtures in in club football. But Murad, it's it's special, isn't it? Marseille PSG, especially at the Velodrome. You know, from a Marseille point of view, of course. I guess the fixture has been tinged in in recent years because it has been so one sided. What are your what are your first memories or strongest memories of uh, the French classic? So I think I might speak about the goal of Florix Sana for his uh, arrival in Marseille in 2005. He came from Paris Saint-Germain and uh, he was a player for, from their academy. Though he say I, all, I always have been a, a Marseille supporter and uh, he scored his, his first goal with a with a strong header on corner. He gave us the victory and it was, um, I mean, it, 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 it was not a great season, so to say, but it was the foundation for, for a team that will last four or five years in Marseille. And uh, I, I remember that really strongly. And I remember the, the ambience and, all, and everything around, even in the bad year of OM. Remember once we were ninth or something like that, and Bakayoko gave us the, 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 the winning goal in the victory 1-0 and something like that. So... Those games were about, uh, about the, the ambience, the, the feeling that was in the stadium and the fact that uh, somehow, somehow, even if you were having a bad season, you could beat them. That's what the Classico is supposed to be. But nowadays, this feeling had disappeared for me and now it's more like a, more like a marketing thing, you know, because really there is, no, there is no sports competition between the two teams. But it's the big game and it's the game that you should show abroad and everything and and I'm not such a big fan of that. And if I should pick a big game nowadays for OM, I will pick more the game against Lyon. That is a team that beat us pretty regularly, but it's a team that we can beat. If we lose against them, we don't have any excuses. You know, it's like, a, it's okay, and there is huge rivalry, but with Paris Saint-Germain, 
I have the feeling that, I mean, they are not playing the same championship than us. And it's really, I'm really sorry about that. And, uh, but it's, it's my feeling. Yeah, as Murad says, this has been going on for a really long time. I've got very vivid memories of commentating David Beckham's first start for Paris Saint-Germain in 2013 in the Classique in the, the Coupe de France game that they won very easily, having beaten Marseille at the weekend in the league just before that. And just to show... The difference between those sides, I remember it was the season that Joey Barton was there and he was giving all these big statements to the press about Thiago Silva's lips and Zlatan Ibrahimovic's nose. And it was just ridiculous because on the pitch, he couldn't do anything. He was completely outplayed. And that's been the case for far too long. And we, we've talked on this podcast before about what André Villas-Boas said when Marseille went to the Parc de France earlier in the season, that it wasn't the most important game. And... Uh, this season, they lost 4-0 at the Parc de Prince. They tried to press almost Bielsa style for 10 minutes. And that was exciting. But then they got taken apart. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm with Murad on this one. That when you tune into PSG Marseille, nowadays, it's the exception rather than the rule that you get a close fought game. It was that 2-2 game when he, at the Velodrome when Ibrahimovic scored twice and Gignac scored twice. But since then, I'm struggling to pick a game that really gripped me between the two. So... You forget the two, two, two or three years ago, then, because that's without doubt since I moved to France the the most exciting. Oh, the one with the Cavani and, and, goal at the end. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Yeah. Exactly that 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 game that is now referred to in Paris as air conditioning because of that ninety uh, second minute free kick in at the Velodrome, which uh, turned this incredible atmosphere into absolute silence and cold. La clean is the term they use, but that you know that game started with a absolute scorcher from Luis Gustavo who was looking like he was going to become the new hero in Marseille and it was actually the old hero Edinson Cavani but for that that by far and away the, the best classic I've seen since since moving to France. It's interesting because again Tony Cascarino feels a little bit sad when he sees that the Marseille fans are celebrating finishing second behind PSG that that was the case this this season. He insists that despite PSG's huge wealth, Marseille should be aiming to topple them and that they could even do that with their hugely passionate fans. Let's hear from Cascarino. My message would be the fans do what they do best and drive that football club. Make sure that their owners recognise that their fans are demanding a team that goes after everybody, plays with fearless football. Because unless it doesn't change, Marseille are not even going to be nearly also runs. I don't... When I hear the word, it's like saying, oh, we'll have an open-top bust if Marseille comes second to PSG. No, no. Get away from that. It's about trying to get in front of them. And that, to me, is my... my I think they have fans that, uh, to be number one, but they don't have a football team to be number one. And, and I, I, long-term, I, I hope that can change. Well, Murad uh, mentioned it, that Tony Cascarino was at Marseille in a totally different era. But, you know, I think Marseille fans can understand his sentiment that Marseille shouldn't be about aiming for second. It should be about trying, trying to finish top. And, um, you know, hopefully, I'm not saying that from a Marseille fan perspective, but hopefully we will have more competition. We will have a title race in the coming years. But we're coming to the end of our podcast and we're going we're gonna to finish with a, with a very simple question that I'm going to put to each and every one of you, starting with Murad. Murad, who is the bigger football club today? Olympique de Marseille or Paris Saint-Germain? And big the Marseille is the biggest football club and Paris has the best team uh, for now. But, you know, if you're looking at the history of French football, you, you will see that since the beginning of uh, prof- prof- professional football in France, OM always had been somewhere there. It's always, it had lost maybe, but it's the first club that won. It's the first club outside Paris to win the French, the Coupe de France. And it was the first, you know, in the in 1910s or 1920s, something like that. Every decade, you will find the trace of OM somewhere playing a final, uh, winning something, like being the big opponent of the big club. All the all the big club in France had built themselves around their rivalry with Marseille. That is Bordeaux, Saint-Étienne, Paris, Lyon. Everybody has to do something. OM is the capital of football in France. Marseille is the <laughs> capital of football in France. And you have to, to, to hate them or to love them, but that's the, I mean, that it, it is the cornerstone of football in France. And Paris is just a moment, I really think. <laughs> <Obviously, it's> a <laughs> you know what? Yeah. 
since the 90s, they, they, they really can say the same that what I, what I described for OM, they can say the same, but from the 90s. OM, it's from 9010, you know, so. It's a shame that um, our, our regular Robbie Thompson isn't with us today because he would have been fighting the PSG corner. It would have been interesting to, to hear your exchanges. Dave, PSG or Marseille, who's the biggest football, cl- football club? There is no photo. Il n'y a pas photo. I've never really understood that expression in French, but at the moment, it's, it's PSG. Um, that said, Marseille is the most exciting place to go and watch football, and they have, architecturally, it's the most stunning stadium in France by a distance. The atmosphere is incredible, but they're not the best team now. Uh, historically, no, but that wasn't the question. But, it, but to be honest, Dave, it's, it's, it's a stupid question, because how do you define biggest football club? Um, well, the history is you know, only going to sustain them for so long. But... Um, when did we last see a really good Saint-Étienne team? We can grow up on all the stories about Saint-Étienne being amazing in the, the 70s and the Poto Carré at Hamden Park and everything, but we didn't get to see those teams. And sadly, there's the whole generation of French football supporters who have not seen an outstanding Marseille team. Even the team that won the title um, under Deschamps wasn't as good as those 90s or late 80s teams. If I may... Yes and no, because, you know, even when we are, um, when we are pretty pathetic in the French league, you know, we, who, who is the, 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 the French team that play three of the last four European Cup final? It's OM, you know, so you, you, all the friends rally behind the OM when there is those campaigns, those European campaigns. And except Monaco in 2004, all the final of uh, European Cup that French football is playing, it's under OM. And when it was this Bielsa team, it was something special. And, 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 you know, we always had something, we, we have something special. Paris is winning, but without any glory, you know, that's the problem. And that, that's even their problem nowadays, that when they arrive to European Champions, European Cup, they, they, they are so used to win without glory that, you know, they cannot do something. We have the glory, you know, we don't have the title. And here I'm, I'm a bit overstaying. Armel, that's a pretty convincing arguments there from, from Murad. What do you say, PSG or OM? I think it's... It's hard to disagree with Murad's first points. Second one sounded more like the fan, the journalist. But the, f- the first points were, were very true. You, you just cannot argue with it. But the, the point you made about every team having a rivalry with Marseille and nobody really having a rivalry with PSG anymore is totally true. And that makes that makes a football club big, in my opinion. There's also another thing that you can take in mind is the, the amount of worldwide support that Marseille has and has had for the past 20 odd years and that's before you know sort of supporter clubs have been implanted by the actual administration outside of France which is obviously something that's been done a lot currently by the capital club but Marseille those have those have formed over the years just through pure passion for the team now obviously the club is making sure that those are are being uh, built upon in, in Tunisia uh, etc but um but it's 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 a football club that has enormous reach, and I think anybody that likes football for the colour, the, the spirit, for you know the reasons why you get why you get drawn to football by your by your parents or by your friends, not just because you want to see a team scoring six goals every weekend. I think all of those people with that frame of mind will go for Marseille rather than Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, it's a fascinating debate, fascinating arguments from from all of you. We've got no time left, I'm afraid, but uh, thank you to everybody for joining us. Thanks to Murad Ertz, the Marseille-based journalist. Um, If you're interested in um, what Murad had to say, and if you can speak French, I do recommend you buy his book um, on Marcelo Bielsa. Thank you, Murad. Thank you, Armel Tangi. Thank you, David Crossan. From me, Matt Spiro. And from everybody at uh, Le Bourgeois, it's time to say au revoir. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.